1976, I got a job as a new youth director and almost immediately managed to tick off a very powerful man. Bud was the, um, the richest and most influential man in our church, and I found out he was upset about something with me. I didn't know what it was, and I was 19 at the time and went behind the ears and a little bit crazy, so I called Bud's assistant, made an appointment, put on my only suit, and went to visit him. And I still remember the image. He was a very big man behind a very big desk with a very big frown on his face, and he leaned back in his big old chair, and so I just launched in. I said, Bud, I understand I made you mad. I don't know what I did, but I'd like to know what it was so that maybe I won't do it again. And uh, I remember feeling like the temperature dropped in the room, and he leaned forward on his desk. He said, well, son, it really doesn't matter what you did. The fact that you came in here is enough for me. And that was the end of the conversation. And out the door I went, and it turned out that Bud became one of my greatest allies. Have you ever had a difficult conversation with a very powerful person? Now, imagine that your life depended, literally, on that conversation. That's the story that we're going to turn to today. That's the situation in the life of our hero, Daniel, and his buddies. We are in a series called Subversive Leadership. And we are asking the question, how can we be citizens of influence in this nation while at the same time not compromising our Christian convictions? Daniel and his friends had been, as you recall, kidnapped from Jerusalem when the Babylonians invaded Judah. Nebuchadnezzar the king took all of these young people back and they were going to be -be, re-educated, really assimilated into their culture in order that they could be servants in the king's court. By the providence of God, these young exiles ended up having positions of great influence in the life of the king and ultimately in the nation. And it's a good thing too, because their abilities are about to be put to the test. We turn this morning to Daniel chapter 2, the first verse, I invite you to join me as we read God's word together. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams, his spirit troubled him and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. Chaldeans were like astrologers. They were the special horoscope readers of the time. And he commanded all of them to be summoned to tell the king his dreams. Then the Chaldeans said to the king, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. It's interesting that we have the uh, Northwest Furniture Bank video today because Jeremy Simler, who works in there, recently appeared in a dream of mine. I I dreamt that Jeremy was really sick and needed to go to the hospital. And the problem was there was a huge traffic jam that was blocking all of the streets and the ambulance couldn't get there to pick Jeremy up. But that's okay because I owned a giant K2 
camel. This was a camel the size of the Star Wars walkers. And so I put Jeremy up on the top of my giant camel, and we walked right over the top of the traffic jam. In some instances, we crushed the cars between, beneath my giant camel's feet. And I saved Jeremy's life. I reached out to him and he, to ask if he appreciated what I had done for him. We have no idea what this bizarre dream meant. He did ask, do you dream of me often? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> but the fact that I even remembered th- this dream was in itself extraordinary because often I'll have vivid dreams and by the time I wake up in the morning, I have forgotten them. Sigmund Freud, that maven of Christian theology, once said that dreams are the disguised fulfillment of a repressed wish. In other words, he says, dreams are a creation of my subconscious. It's a way of me communicating with myself. But the fathers of our scripture stories didn't believe that. Neither did Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar believed that dreams were the way that the gods communicated to him. And given that he was the king of the greatest empire on earth at the time, and only 30 years old, well, he felt the pressure to get things right. And so when he woke up from a very disturbing, vivid dream, couldn't remember what it uh, had been telling him, it was a big deal to him. Funny thing about that too, when it's a big deal to a king, it becomes a big deal to everybody, including his advisors. And so he called them in, he said, and and he said, I want you to tell me my dream. And they say, wait a second, king, it doesn't work that way. You need to tell us your dream, and then we will interpret it. We'll tell you what it means. And Neb replied, you are a bunch of con men. You will tell me my dream. And if you don't, I'm going to tear your arms and legs out of the socket. I'm going to bulldoze your houses. Now, for what it's worth, if my arms and legs are torn off, I don't think I'd really care what he did with my house, but I'm just saying. Anyhow, this is how the Babylonian king incentivized his staff. We give out hams at Christmas. He allowed them to keep their limbs. So for some reason, Daniel wasn't present at the king's tirade. But when he was told, his response was an advanced study on how to speak truth to power. And so I want you to listen carefully to Daniel's response, how he finessed this very delicate situation. And I'll give you a hint. Here it is. Three of them, in fact. When you speak truth to power, heat is your enemy, haste is your enemy, and hubris is your enemy. Let's return to verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed, along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Remember once again, Daniel was an exile. He was a spoil of war. 
By this time, he was probably 18 years old or so, but he displays remarkable wisdom. He seemed to understand three essential principles about speaking truth to power, of having hard conversations with a very powerful person. Here's the first one. Heat is your enemy. Ariok, who was the king, captain of the king's guard, he was assigned to track down all of the enchanters, magicians, Chaldeans, and so forth, including Daniel and his pals, and kill them. And skillfully, the first thing Daniel did was to dial back the emotion. We read that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok. Just imagine this. A squad of soldiers shows up and say, sorry about this, but we've got to tear your arms and legs off. I know it'll be inconvenient. Do you think that'd be a little stressful? Probably. And yet Danny, Daniel managed to keep his cool. He, he didn't cry out in fear. He didn't lash out in anger. Instead, we are told he responded with prudence and discretion because he knew that in such a moment, heat is your enemy. I wish I'd learned this lesson when I was 18 because some of the thorniest issues that I've encountered in my ministry life I've gotten into when someone threatened me or I felt threatened by them and and I lashed back. I ended up in a very long-term employment lawsuit years ago for this reason. And instead of dialing back my anger, instead of making myself speak quietly and calmly, I fired up. And how I wish I'd known then that in such a conversation, heat is your enemy. I had an elder years ago who was a fireball. He could go from world peace to DEFCON 1 in a single blink of an eye. And it was impacting his relationship with the rest of the elders. And it was diminishing his influence too. And so I finally said to him, Fred... I want you to sit next to me at every board meeting from now on. And every time I hear you saying words that are starting to heat up, I'm going to reach under the table and I'm going to squeeze your knee. And that will be a signal to you that you need to stop talking. Of course, I couldn't have done that with a woman elder. It worked out, though, in this case. I had cramps in my hand for the first few meetings that we had. But after a while, he began to catch himself. If you want to speak truth to power, you need to discover that heat is your enemy. You need to dial it back. Here's the second thing that Daniel teaches us. Haste is your enemy. Let's continue reading. Daniel asked the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested of the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the interpretation to the king. By the way, that was pretty gutsy, given that he didn't yet know it, but he had faith in God just to step out. So in the first instance, Daniel kind of dialed things back, and in the second instance, he slowed things down. And he did it brilliantly, actually. He did it by, instead of making a statement, he asked a really good question. The question is, why is the decree of the king so urgent? In other words, he said, What's the rush? What's the rush? And with this brilliant why question, he helped Arioch realize the wisdom of tapping the brakes a little bit. Because after all, once Arioch had executed this order, and literally, 
executed this order. There was no going back. There was no changing your mind. But suddenly, all of the advisors to, the, to this young king would be dead and gone. That would be a problem. Not to mention the inconvenience on the part of the advisors of this very painful death thing. So there is nothing to lose by taking a deep breath and slowing things down a little bit. One time a group of men brought a a woman to Jesus. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery. And the penalty for such an offense was death by stoning. And these men intended to use this woman to trap Jesus. They, they didn't think twice about destroying her life. She was a pawn to them. So they had her standing there before him and they were peppering him with loaded questions. And I wonder if you remember the response of Jesus. He doesn't say a word. Instead, he knelt down. Remember what he did? Yes, he began to write in the, on, in the soil. It's very interesting because we have no other account ever of Jesus ever writing anything. And we actually don't even know what he was writing in this instance. But I think it's kind of beside the point. I think what Jesus doing here was cultivating a pause. He was taking a deep breath in a treacherous conversation. He knelt down, he scribbled out some words. Then we are told he stood back up. He spoke a few carefully chosen words. Then he knelt back down and started scribbling some more and waited until every last accuser had dropped his stone and walked away. Haste is your enemy in difficult conversations. How I wish I'd learned this lesson early on in my life. There are too many times I look back and I think in a a heightened, hard situation, my approach has been ready, fire, aim. Any of you could admit to that? If a crisis arises, I want to solve it now. If a nasty email arrives, I want to respond to it now. One of the best things I have learned over the years when I respond to a nasty gram is to write it and not hit send. And wait at least 24 hours and until some of my elders can review my response. Because too many times I've learned haste is your enemy. If they ever come up with an app that can help you pull back those stupid emails you sent, man, they will make millions. In conversations with your powerful people, hate, heat is your enemy, haste is your enemy, and finally, hubris is your enemy. Arrogance. It can destroy our influence in the lives of powerful people. Daniel showed incredible humility in how he responded to Arioch, the captain, and ultimately to the king. Here's a few ways I see this, at least. First of all, he sought the counsel of his friends. Did you see that? We read that he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. One author put it this way. He said, Daniel was self-assured, but not self-reliant. And I like that. This was his life group. This was his small group. And before he did anything in this very volatile situation, he knew he needed to seek the counsel of his trusted brothers. That is so wise. And I would say that this is something that I have learned to do over the years. I have such wise elders and wise friends, and there's not a week that passes that I don't reach out to them for advice on a difficult matter. Sometimes they agree with me. 
Sometimes they disagree with me, but always their counsel improves my response to the situation. And I do well to be humble enough to receive it. The second demonstration of his humility, I think, is this. He and his friends prayed. You'd think it's kind of ABC stuff for the Christian, but it's amazing. We are told that Daniel told them to seek mercy from God of heaven. It might seem very basic, but how many of us really turn to God in prayer to ask Him to guide our words, our countenance, before we have difficult conversations? A friend of mine told me this last week, and I think he was only exaggerating a little bit, I'll bet my wife tells me ten times a day, why don't you pray about it before you try to fix it? Man, that would be good counsel for us men to take. Why don't you pray about it before you try to fix it? Last Tuesday night, we had our Kingdom Come prayer event. We had 40 people scattered throughout this sanctuary. It was a wonderful and inspiring time. I was blessed by it. But I couldn't help but wonder, why is not our whole church here upon our knees in this time of national and political upheaval? If such a time as this doesn't drive us to our knees, what will? Here's the third example of Daniel's humility. I love this part about him. He deflected credit. He deflected credit. When he finally does appear before the king, the king asks him if he can make known to him his dream. And here's how Daniel responds. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel deflected credit. He could have easily said, yeah, I got it figured out. Unlike the rest of your phonies, I got it figured out. And by the way, these same advisors, because of their jealousy, would later try to kill Daniel. They were not his friends. But he did not throw them under the bus, even though he could have. He could have aggrandized himself, thrown them under the bus, and he did not do so, even though later on they're going to throw him into a lion's den. He deflected the credit. He said it was only because God had revealed these things to him that he was able to reveal them to the king. It is very tempting when you've had the courage to have a difficult conversation with a powerful person and it turns out well. It is very encouraging, uh, very tempting to, to bask in the praise of that person. But the true influential person deflects that glory to God and to others And by the way, in so doing, ends up gaining even more favor and influence. We tend to want to accrete, to draw glory to ourselves, credit to ourselves. The more we can push it away, the more we become influential. So what was the outcome of this conversation that Daniel had? Well, you'll have to tune in next week. You'll have to come back next, you know, bat time, bat channel next week. Uh, But for now, I want to actually ask uh, this question of you. Here's the one I'd like to land on. Who is the powerful person in your life that needs to hear some truth from you? You've probably been putting it off. You've been afraid of it. You've been reticent to it. But you keep getting stirred that there's a conversation you ought to have. Maybe it's with a politician. I've been convicted by a friend of mine who faithfully writes thoughtful letters 
to local politicians. I confess I tend not to do it because I think, what difference will it make? Which is a horrible response. But my friend regularly reaches out, and I have been convicted of that. So is that the person that you'd be called to? Or maybe it's your boss, or maybe it's a difficult colleague. Maybe it's your teacher. Maybe it's your powerful spouse. Could it be that God is stirring in you uh, to have this important conversation and share with them some truth from the Lord? If so, we would do well to take some lessons from Daniel. You speak truth with power, and when you do it, you remember that heat is your enemy, haste is your enemy, and hubris is your enemy. You know what I would love? I would love it if the people of Chapel Hill were a disproportionate number of folks who are willing to move towards issues, speak into difficult circumstances, have the courage to approach powerful people. I would love it if there were a surprising number of Chapel Hill folks who would be that way. You, are, you would be amazed at the circle of influence that you possess. And we fritter it away. We don't make use of it. But in these times, if ever there was a time when people, God's people need to speak up and speak truth, because there's a lot of lying out there, we need to be that people. So I want you to pray with me, and I'm going to ask God's Spirit to anoint you to this call. All right? Would you join me in prayer? So Holy Spirit, we, we just pray that the lessons that we have learned from Daniel, that you will do that work in our heart. We know this isn't a matter of gritting our teeth and being tougher or braver. This is a matter of listening more and more to the prompting of your spirit, Jesus, and then acting on that in courage and in faith. Even when we don't have answers necessarily, as Daniel had, stepping up and saying, I, I want an appointment. I would like to speak to you on this matter. So God, I ask that you would make this group of people within the sound of my voice influencers, not social influencers like on social media, influencers that speak courageously into difficult situations, school boards, family brokenness, powerful but disastrously misaligned friends, would you cause us to stand up and to be heard in a way that brings honor and glory to you and diverts attention from ourselves. And in this week, when we uh, acknowledge the transfer of power in our nation to a new administration, I particularly pray for our President Biden that you would surround him with unexpectedly devout followers of Jesus who will have the courage to speak truth to power and will influence our president for good for the sake of this nation. We ask these things in the name of Christ and all of God's people said.